Thanks for joining everybody. I'm Chris. I'm the CEO at Dialect. Dialect is a, um, uh, a messaging app. We're doing uh, Web3 native messaging, one of our uh, most exciting features that we're thrilled to talk about today is smart messaging. We're not talking about it in the space. I just mean we're, it's just recently launched. Um, it's cool new tech on making messaging in Web3 interesting and differentiated. What can you do in Web3 that you can't do in Web2? Um, but today, the topic of conversation is around compressed NFTs. And the question is, why is this interesting to us at Dialect? The reason it's interesting to us is, as some of you may have seen on Twitter recently and uh, in Dialect, the app, which is on iOS today, um, coming to Android and Saga very soon, <laughs> we're doing this thing uh, called NFT chat stickers. And I'm sure a lot of you in the audience are big fans of chat stickers in whatever your favorite messaging apps are, Telegram, WhatsApp, WeChat, et cetera. Um, they're just little... Like, not that anyone needs to hear this, but like chat stickers are like little expressive animated content that you can use uh, uh, to express yourself in messaging. And at Dialect, we've been having a lot of fun making NFT chat stickers. So these are chat stickers that are NFTs like any other. And if you have them in your wallet, you can use them in chat. And so this owning your voice um, and, and being more expressive, owning your identity, all the fun and exciting things about crypto um, and Web3 that we love, we think of chat stickers as like a new way to own and express your identity in Web3. So I say they're NFTs like any other, but that's not exactly quite true. We're using the compressed NFT tech that has been pioneered by Solana Labs and Metaplex. And why is that interesting to us? The reason it's interesting to us is because over the next couple of months, we are going to mint probably a million NFT chat stickers. This is a scale and a level of abundance that is new in our minds to crypto and to NFTs. And we are insanely excited about this. This is across a bunch of different collections. On one end, you've got some of the sticker packs that users write when they download Dialect, they can get um, just for signing up. And those are going to be extremely abundant. And on the other end, we've got like very sort of like exclusive rare chat stickers that you might only get because you own a, a, an NFT from a PFP collection. And that kind of variety and abundance is what gets us really excited about the future of crypto. Like, you know, the big thing for us is how do we onboard the next billion users? And a big piece of that is the cost. Solana is already one of the fastest blockchains and one of the least expensive. I think today the transaction fee on Solana is about a hundredth of a penny, but rent is still really high. And to mint an NFT, you're looking on the order of spending, you know, on, on the order of tens of cents to a dollar. Um, we think to onboard the next billion users, we need to transition into the subsidizable scale. And so with Solana introducing compressed tech, this is going to dramatically open up the space of the sheer volume that we can do and the users who can try things out for free because a business can offer to um, perform a mint for them. So we're insanely excited about this. You've heard enough from me blabbering. Um, NFT chat stickers are our one little thing. There's other incredibly big and exciting efforts on the compressed NFT spec uh, or uh, on the compressed NFT efforts um, going on at some other projects such as Helium Foundation. Um, but how about this? Let's introduce the guests. Um, who we have joining us today uh, for this Twitter space is Jordan Sexton from Solana Labs, John Wong from, I think, Solana Labs as well. We have Noah, and Noah, I don't think we've ever talked about uh, how you pronounce your last name, but Gondotra, is that right? I think I got that correct. Cool. I'm getting a thumbs up from him. Also from Solana Labs, we have Nan. Nan, I don't think we've met before, so please correct me if I'm saying your name uh, incorrectly. And uh, in addition to that, so those are, I think, are the, some of the main speakers. I think we also have potentially Noah Prince from Helium Foundation, who's leading their efforts on developing their compressed NFT tech. So uh, welcome, everybody. I would love to hand it off to you. So maybe we do a round of introductions. Jordan, do you want to lead? Hey, sure. I'm Jordan Sexton. Um, I've worked on uh, Solana Pay and Wallet stuff. Um, and I've been following along with kind of the work on compressed NFTs because I think it will unlock some really transformative use cases, uh, which Dialect is pioneering now. I'll uh, go next. Hey, so hey, my name's John. I actually work at the Solana Foundation, the tech lead on the NFT team, and I've actually been working on compressed NFTs since before uh, before I started working uh, at Solana. 
I remember uh, totally just kind of mapping it out on a board being like, this is how it works. And I was like, cool, I didn't get that, but like, I'll figure it out. So I've been working on this, on some form of this project for the last year or so. I can go next. Hey, I'm Jan. Uh, that's how you say my name. Haven't met uh, some of you folks in person, but uh, hey to Noah and John. Um, I'm the CTO of Metaplex. And so we are all things NFT for Solana and are super excited about um, the, the tech that we're delivering uh, in conjunction with Solana on these compressed NFTs. Fantastic. Uh, oh, go ahead. Yep, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say hello. Hi, I'm Noah. I've worked with a bunch of people from Metaplex and Solana Labs and with uh, Jerry t working on the compression tech behind the compressed NFTs. Fantastic. And uh, I don't currently see Noah Prince from Helium um, as a speaker, but maybe what we'll do is we'll come back to that if we if we see him show up great okay so um john you hinted at this a little bit but would love to hear a little bit about what motivated the development of compressed nfts like tell us about the problem what was on folks minds and a little bit of the history of like okay here's the problem and the development of the solution yeah so as a high level primer of metaplex uh, nfts they're they're comprised of four accounts uh, you know, you have your token, you say your mint, you have your ATA, you have uh, uh, token metadata and a master edition. And they all have different functionality and they're all very useful. I think the downside, though, is that when we think about how, how much those NFTs end up costing on chain, it's like something like 0 0.012 soul. It's not that much, but I think in the context of PFPs and other things that get minted, it's the minter that usually uh, pays that cost. So the creator doesn't have to internalize it. When we were thinking about how to handle NFTs at scale, we had a little bit of a problem where basically we were thinking about use cases like large enterprises that were facilitating mints on the behalf of creators. Uh, or you could think about games where games wanted to issue tons of assets uh, as NFTs to be able to allow for transactions and things like that. But if we think about like 0.012 soul at the scale of hundreds of thousands, millions of NFTs, it's just, uh, you know, economically infeasible for the company to handle that. And, and in a lot of cases, they wanted to abstract away that particular cost from the, uh, from the end user. So we had to look for a way, uh, a mechanism to store these NFTs on chain, allow them to be operated on in contracts and so, so, so on and so forth but do it at a much more in a much more cost effective way. And so that's where the development of account compression came around in the context of NFTs. And I think very concretely, uh, there's actually two pieces to this account compression is a generic sort of primitive. That's part of the SPL that handles the compression of arbitrary accounts and compressed NFTs were just the most obvious uh, use case for compressing those accounts. That's actually really good context and time permitting, would love to talk about what you all see on the horizon for generic account compression. Um, that's great. Does anyone else want to comment a little bit on like, so when was this conversation just starting? John, you mentioned a little bit like about a year ago. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think about a year ago. I think uh, you can you can fill in the blanks here on large enterprises that might want to be creating tons of NFTs. Um, and obviously like Metaplex was a key part of that, right? Because I think, we want to, like NFTs are going to end up uh, representing a whole lot more than just PFPs. They're going to start representing real world assets, virtual assets and games, all that sort of stuff. So this felt like a great alignment of uh, a, a couple of different efforts from the business side, as well as the technology side, as you know, as well as the generic primitive. But I think in the context of NFTs, yeah, compressed NFTs, this has been something that uh, various folks have been working on for the last year or so. Very cool. Yeah, just chiming in here real, real quick. Uh, uh, you know, the way that we see NFTs um, at Metaplex is is actually, to John's point, a lot broader than um, the, you know, we like to joke just a bunch of JPEGs, right? Uh, we see them as really a database of, um, a, a database where each NFT is a row and the only difference is it shows who owns that row. And 
the content of that row can be any type of data. Today, we use it as some uh, JPEGs and PFPs and some pretty interesting uh, use cases that are emerging. Um, but, you know, it could be anything. It could be code. It could be something that is executable. It could be ownership to deeds and legal documents. It could be anything, right? Um, and so uh, if people remember the last Solana summer, I think this is before FTX. This is before the macroeconomic crash. Um, Solana NFTs were just like mooning into space. And everyone was trying to figure out, uh, you know, an economically viable way of minting a ton of NFTs. Um, and so the Solana price was like 100 bucks or 200 bucks or something. So these things turned out to be like one or two dollars to mint. And when you compare them to uh, when you compare that to com other chains, right, um, they were minting for free or something like that. So there was these, this big incentive for us as a Solana ecosystem to deliver a, a mechanism where we could significantly reduce minting costs so that we could get um, some of these next billion users into Web3 to go onto Solana, or at least a large portion of it. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and I think back to your point you just made and, and what John was saying earlier, um, as bigger brands come in, as creative, like, like enterprising entrepreneurs come up with creative new cool things, whether it's in gaming or otherwise, the ability to like subsidize if you want to um, is incredibly cool. And, and that's definitely where we arrived at dialect was we just the sheer volume of what we want to do um you're right like today a lot of it is like just a bunch of jpegs um we are <laughs> moving the needle of a hair's width to make it just a bunch of gifs um so but incredibly excited about all the other use cases that you brought up um Noah, I'd love to ask you a question or two, really just open-ended just on the history of this. Um, I'm based in New York. Noah uh, and I intersected a lot at Empire Dow, the um, former co-working space for Web3 co-working space. And I remember starting to hear from you about this. Do you want to tell a little bit of a story about how you got involved? Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy, um, but almost like exactly a year ago, I had just started working at labs and I'd, actually like, I think my first day was the first day of the New York hacker house. And at that time, um, Jerry Zhao, uh, one of the co-founders behind Ellipsis labs, he was still with Solana and he introduced me to this project, which eventually became account compression. And <laughs> It was just in the very early stages of him doing research to figure out ways of accumulating a bunch of data on chain and playing around with like proof sizes. Um, as you guys all know, one of the biggest issues with like Solana transactions is just that they're small. And so you can't send like two kilobytes of proof data. And so a lot of like the algorithmic and like cryptographic data accumulators that um, Jerry and others had been researching just would not work on Solana and Merkle trees would work, but there was just like some key limitations with how um, they process data serially that would have made it infeasible. And so <laughs> basically it was a really, my first week joining was this really chaotic mix of picking up the context for why, for like why this was needed and, also, you know, staying up late with Jerry in a hotel room, just trying to play around with, like, how do we get around uh, this issue of that Merkle trees are edited serially, but we need them to be able to be edited multiple times in a block. Mm. Solving that is how we got to where we are now. That's really cool. Um, and actually, that's a good segue, um, unless any of you want to give a little bit of history. Actually, maybe I'll just ask one last quick question. Jordan, I um, would love to hear a little bit about how you've intersected with, um, uh, because I, I'm definitely familiar with Noah's having been worked on this um, uh, and, and folks from the Metaplex team. Do you want to give a little context on how you've been involved? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say I haven't been involved a whole lot. Um, so I wasn't involved at all with the development of the spec uh, it's mostly that I found it really interesting. I think it unlocks a bunch of really interesting utility. And 
our original conversation about it, I remember talking with you, Chris, about like being able to use account compression for dialect messages um, so that you could actually store them in the ledger uh, without using it in account state. I also think that it gives you, because like the amount of data that you can store is larger, it allows us to potentially do things involving privacy and encrypted data on chain that would otherwise be quite expensive um, if we're thinking about like storing encrypted data in account state. Uh, so I've been following along the development there and then figuring out from the perspective of wallet support what we need to do um, and, and perhaps uh, just as much like when we need to start talking with wallets and how about it can integrate this technology. That's great. Yeah, I, I remember some of those conversations and there's no question we'll be exploring other ways that we can use um, account compression generally at Dialect. I, I remember that conversation. Um, cool. And actually, the question of uh, wallet support, adoption, et cetera, hopefully we have time for that toward the end of the call. Um, I was going to say, Noah, the thing, the thing you brought up about um, serially updating Merkle trees, that's probably a good segue to talk a little bit about the architecture. So we want this to be a technical space. I hope folks are excited about that. I am. So um, we'd love to dive into the various pieces of the tech. One of the more interesting things that stood out to me was there was this two-team effort here between Solana Labs and Metaplex. Noah, you mentioned the um, challenges you faced with Merkle trees. Maybe where we start, like my understanding, so like I like to think in terms of repos. So I, I know that there's like Gummy Roll, which I think is around that problem, which you're talking about, Noah. There's Bubblegum itself, which I think is on the Metaplex side. There's the digital assets standard API that I think is going to be running on a bunch of RPC um, uh, providers and indexers and whatnot. Maybe we first talk through the high level architecture. Um, I like to think about that in terms of user flows. So maybe we talk through like, okay, from first, like I am putting up a collection on chain and then I'm going to have users mint and then they're going to be doing things like trade, buy, sell, transfer, et cetera. Do you want to talk us through like a little bit about the architecture? Um, anyone feel free to, to take that one. Um, yeah, I just, so I'm more than happy to talk about like the technical stuff, but in terms of user walkthroughs and user flows, I think Nyan is probably better positioned, um, or John. Um, I'm not as well polished on explaining that, but happy to if otherwise. Cool, yeah, Nyan uh, or John, go nice. for it. Go for it, John. What was the thing that you had trouble explaining, Nyan? User flows, like if you meant to oh, compress NFT, how does that like how does that trickle through the system and how does that make it yeah. into compression tech and back? Into the yeah. Room? So, uh, yeah, so this is, um, a little bit, so I guess, uh, to start with like a regular Metaplex NFT with the master edition, uh, you're typically creating accounts, right? You're saying here are the three or four accounts that we need. Uh, you're going to configure them. You're going to call to different programs that own those different accounts and they'll make different, uh, uh constraint checks to say, hey, like making sure that I still have the freeze authority, making sure that the mint only has supply of one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the key difference here with compression, uh, account compression is that there is no account per NFT. There is a storage account and that's the tree. And so a storage account has, has a tree and in the context of a user flow going through the minting process, they do the same, they issue a mint NFT instruction against a program called Bubblegum. And Bubblegum is, uh, is a program uh, written and maintained by Metaplex that will, under the hood, uh, you know, call out to the account compression uh, smart contract. So uh, the combination of the two means that the minting process is just the same as you might expect. You send an instruction that says mint. It has some metadata that, you know, a URI that points to an off-chain piece of JSON. And then the result is, you know, when you call your RPC to return the, the uh, NFTs that you own for this particular wallet, it's going to return that information. And structurally, it's identical to an existing Metaplex NFT with a master edition. So from a user you know, UI development standpoint, a front-end perspective, it's going to be uh, structurally the same. The key difference here, though, is not on minting, but rather on reading and writing. So from a read perspective, because this information is no longer in an account, uh, you have to have been watching the ledger. And this is a, this is a pretty 
big departure and uh, from how NFTs are typically read today. So instead of calling the RPC for individual account information and deriving PDAs, you would be uh, typically using an API uh, or an RPC that has that has been watching for this information uh, over time. Metaplex has something called the Read API, which is a really solid uh, interface for doing this. And so when you call into the Read API, it returns you a list of all of the NFTs that you own, both compressed or uncompressed. And it has all the abstractions, it has all the metadata fields, everything that you're typically used to for an NFT. Is that the so the so the read side is a little more complex. And that's the digital asset standard API, the DOS API. Um, is that uh, right or they're different things. Different things, okay. Uh, they're different things. Yeah. In this case, this is a specification for an API. And under the hood, the infrastructure is handling is basically watching the ledger. It's saying for every new mint instruction that happens against this tree, I'm gonna keep track of the NFT metadata that that got issued uh, via that particular instruction. And then the API, it's re- when it's returning this information, it's returning the latest state of this particular tree because it's been basically monitoring this this tree over time. Cool. Rather than being able to look for an NFT at this current moment in time. Got it. So I'm gonna yeah, just just to answer that. yeah yeah go ahead yeah yeah just to answer that specific point. It used to be called the DAS API, but uh, uh, we've uh, kind of like focused it a lot more on just. Um, uh, reading at la- at least at this point, and so we've named it the Read API with perhaps some some expansions to DAS in in the future. And we've also added a, a bunch of different um, features to Read API for usability reasons. For example, the ability to filter, search, and sort um, something that RPCs would basically love to provide to their users. This is also a decentralized way of running. Um, the read API because your own favorite RPZ provider will be running this uh, or most of the major ones, Genesis Go, Triton, uh, Alchemy, I think, and, and others are running this. Um, and uh, it's it's also got all of the standard backend infra for, uh, I guess, best practices for data pipelines. So for those that have worked in big data or data pipelines, you know, it's got things like backfill, filling in uh, missed blocks, uh, missed transactions. Um, and uh, it's, I think, got a liveness time, at least, of our first mainnet deploy of something like less than less than 100 milliseconds from when it happens on chain to when it's... That's incredible. Away. So it's, um, it's pretty blazing performance. And uh, all of the credit for Read API goes to uh, Austin, on the Metaplex team or the Ostbot, as you might know <laughs> right. um, probably the the most the most famous Metaplex person out there. Yeah, we certainly invited him today, but I think he was excited to have you um, speak on behalf of Metaplex. But he's in our we have a Slack channel where um, the lead engineer on our end, who's Nick, who's probably in the audience somewhere. I, I told him I, I may force him to come up here at some point. Um, he's been interacting with all of you. But especially with with Austin with Ospot, he's he's been incredible, like an amazing resource. Um, so what I'm hearing is uh, there's an action. So okay, let, let me try to play this back. I'm almost certainly going to get this wrong. Um, John or Jan, tell me if this sounds right to you. In general, with compressed NFTs, there's a um, the the full source of truth is decentralized, but it's distributed across an account that stores only compressed Merkle tree information. And then transactions, which are when a user goes to perform, let's say, a mint or a transfer or something, um, that information is encoded in transactions as a part of the bubblegum program, uh, or maybe not bubblegum program. But then basically the, um, the, the infrastructure running on various RPC uh, nodes, um, RPC providers, and this comes back to this liveness question, are um, monitoring for these changes that are happening on chain and turning that into index data for use from this read API. So it is still a fully decentralized technology um, in that everything is either, all, the full source of truth can be produced from the Merkle tree and the transaction history, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, that's a big value prop. We it's a huge value We wanted prop. to be sure. Yeah, we wanted to be sure, like, again, like the, the enterprise conversations here were basically like, any RPC should be able to pick up this information. You shouldn't be able to rug 
all of these NFTs, no matter if you allocated the storage or not. So there, there's some constraints here that really lean into the decentralized nature of uh, of the chain and, and and key pieces that we designed into the into the whole uh, architecture. Very cool. Yeah, there's one other uh, piece that I think we missed here is that um, the read API also serves up the proofs so that you can use those proofs and submit them back to Bubblegum or Gummy Roll in order to, um, in order to you know, make changes to the Merkle tree. Ah, that makes sense. So when yeah, I'm, but... oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think I think that that's another piece too that's different from a user flow is that when you're making transfers or you're doing sales and things like that, you do need to have the latest proofs to be able to prove, hey, actually this piece of data that I'm operating on does indeed live inside of this Merkle tree and I'm the owner or the delegate, therefore I can make this change or make this sale. That makes a lot of sense. And um, it seems to me that's fairly consistent with just the like, paradigm shift of crypto in general and this is true of solana in many ways especially with like the accounts model and everything is that there's an onus on the client to provide certain kinds of proof information in the form of signatures or here it's the merkle proof um and that's the beauty of cryptography is that you can hand that responsibility off to the client and there's like mathematics to, to like say that something is true so it feels very much still in the spirit of like how a lot of modern blockchain tech works um, I, I kind of wanted to hop in real yeah. quick. Just <clears throat> one of the things that I think is I, I wanted to that the way that I was thinking about the difference between NFTs and compressed NFTs is that when you when you're building like a website to actually mint NFTs, like okay, backing up, like when you think about minting an NFT, you're usually going to some website. They're creating a transaction and like they're sending it for you. Most websites are like sending the transaction with your data that you've signed to some arbitrary like RPC provider, some URL. And like that data is getting read back on the chain. The trust model is that you're trusting this website to perform an action for you. And to verify that, you can go to a trusted URL, like one of the public salon RPC endpoints, and verify that your NFT is there. With compressed NFTs, it works exactly the same. Like from a user standpoint, you know, you're going to a website, you're performing some a transaction which is being sent to an RPC, which may, for example, um, inject the a Merkle tree proof from the Metaplex read API. And then you can go and verify that via a trusted URL. The main difference is that when you are looking for trusted URLs, you want to like look for RPC providers which have knowledge of the Merkle tree proofs. And there are some providers like John and Jan have said who are running these indexing services already. So you can go to the Metaplex read API. If you, if you trust Metaplex, you can go and get that data from there. And, if, and that data can be confirmed on chain trustlessly. Like that's the point of the Merkle tree is that Nobody can lie to you about whether your whether or not your compressed NFT actually exists. You can verify it using the indexer. So I hope that helps. I just wanted to say that, like from the, a trust model perspective, nothing has changed. That's right. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, and yeah, despite this meaningfully more complex architecture, fundamentally there's been really no compromise on trust. Uh, it seems to me, especially obviously with the liveness um, thing of like under 100 milliseconds, because I know that like with a lot of scaling technology and crypto, there's a question of like time to settlement, et cetera. Um, I know liveness is not exactly the same thing as that, but that's really interesting. I had one last question on this and I'm, now I'm forgetting it. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah, I think I've forgotten it. So maybe we move on to the next topic. Um, Back to this question around uh, like the, or maybe one last comment is, is I, I'm personally excited to see that two of the most foundational organizations, um, three of you say Solana Labs and Solana Foundation um, plus, plus Metaplex. It's really important that last point of that like RPC providers, the decentralized nature of this is that like um, they're going to opt in to run these. And so the establishment of a standard, it's adoption, et cetera, it's just really great to have um, the like three juggernauts in the Solana ecosystem um, pushing this forward. So uh, 
maybe this is the wrong thread. Hey, Chris. Yeah, go ahead. Just, just, uh, just on that note with RPC providers, it's actually very beneficial for them to run this because currently, if anyone's developed and used GPA uh, to find NFTs, it's just incredibly slow, and it requires um, RPCs to index all of token metadata, which is growing day by day and never shrinking, right? And so this provides a mechanism or an option for RPCs to not allow GPA calls for um, all token metadata or all NFTs. Uh, and therefore they don't have to store it all in RAM. So they don't need these like massive, whatever, multi-terabyte RAM servers oh, right. um, that are just going to grow forever. So this is uh, a quite also an elegant and cost-effective solution for RPCs. The um, acronym in there that I think Neon used is GPA, which is the get program accounts. Is that correct? Correct. Which is like the death of many <laughs> it, it, people often say, like, try, try, try not to use uh, get program accounts in your clients um, because it is a huge performance issue. Um, so that's great to hear that there's also a, a pretty meaningful um, incentive from a performance perspective. That makes perfect sense. Cool. The other thing I wanted to ask a little bit about was the relationship between, um, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. I'm hearing, so Bubblegum is the program that, uh, um, written by Metaplex that allows users to perform actions. And my like very naive, because I haven't dug very deep on this understanding of Gummy Roll is that's the Solana program around this concurrency issue with writing to um, like making edits to a Merkle tree. Uh, in the interest of time, I think let's just assume most folks have a pretty good understanding of how Merkle trees work, but I'd love to ask around this problem of concurrency in writing to a Merkle tree. Noah, you, in talking at the beginning, at the top of the call, bringing up the, kind of the history behind this, um, brought up a very interesting problem around uh, how Merkle trees tend to be written in series or edited in series. I'd love to hear a little more about that problem. I know you all have um, an interesting paper on it, which maybe we can link to after the, after the talk. Yeah. Um, also, quick note, I, I think we renamed this program a bunch of times. Originally, it was called Gummy Roll. Um, currently, it's called uh, Account Compression, and it's stored under the Solana program library. Okay, great. Um, we are probably uh, going to rename this again going forward uh, to Provable Actions. But yeah, I want, <laughs> I, want, I want to add just a little bit there, because I think that was really important. One of the, the leading questions I get is, okay, now that account compression exists, can I put my 3D images on chain? Uh, and it's like, actually, no, this is not that kind of compression. We're compressing the accounts. Oh, it's like, okay, are these NFTs lower quality? Uh, no, 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 that's not it either. So um, there is, we're trying to work through how, uh, uh, some of the semantics there. One of the things that, as you already talked about, Chris, is like Bubblegum uses uh, account compression to sort of issue actions. And as Noah's talking about here, like, uh, provable actions is kind of the, the the nomenclature that feels the best here where yeah that's what's actually happening is that we're issuing actions against the ledger via these transactions and we're able to prove that it came through a, a particular program in this case bubblegum cool so um noah just so i have my language right <laughs> um for gummy roll it's account compression and for bubblegum it's provable actions is that right uh, Bubblegum is still Bubblegum, and that's owned by Oh, Netflix. got it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, we had some issues, like, naming things, but you know what? We'll get there. We'll get to we'll get to a stable point with good names soon. I, I know it. No, this is, um, like, the right sequencing, which is, like, move fast, ship incredible stuff, and as it becomes useful, it kind of, like, settles and um, solidifies into, like, an established naming system and all that. So to me, that's a sign of progress. We're, like, out on the bleeding edge here. So um, that, that's why we name everything candy names, so we don't have to deal with any of these issues. <laughs> no, it, it makes sense to me. It's a code name, I guess, but open source in public. Um, yeah, so I guess question still stands. I'd love to hear a little bit about this um, concurrent actions, like this uh, concurrency with Merkle Trees yeah. uh, stuff that you all were working on. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the point of the Merkle trees is basically to provide the minimal amount of data on chain in order to confirm that the data provided by the Metaplex read API is correct. And so 
what the what we're storing ideally what we like to store on chain is just the root of a merkle tree and so in this case this is literally a 32 byte array just of 32 bytes that's it and what we do is we pass a proof that can be verified along with your compressed nft in order to check it to see if we can produce that same uh, root that's on chain the issue and so th this is like the idea behind verifying stuff with Merkle trees. The issue is that you cannot update that Merkle tree root more than one time in a single block. And the basic idea of why you want to do this is, for example, if you want to mint a new NFT and then you want to transfer it in the same block. And this is an issue because what, if, the way this would work with a normal Merkle tree is that you pass in the NFT that you want to mint, it mints it, and now we move, we basically update the root of the Merkle tree. So we go from a 32-byte array to a new 32-byte array. When we want to transfer the compressed NFT, we have to pass a proof along with the the like the updated data for like who we want to send the the new NFT to. And now the issue is that when we try to combine the new data with the proof, it doesn't match the original root because the root has been changed on chain. And there's no way for us to basically update that proof or for us to reconcile the difference on chain. So, and that's just because Merkle trees are process information um, in sequence. They process things serially. And so that's like the basic problem. Does, does that make sense? Did I explain that adequately? I think so. And maybe I'm just going to say something here, like maybe way oversimplified, but this wouldn't be an issue if every single client, which like we talked about before, clients like end users out in the world, or maybe some SDK, that was actually my question. I would just ignore for the moment, but like some SDK that abstracts it away for a developer, there's a button on a website. You want to press a button, do a thing that, that like touches this data structure. If clients we're always around and ready to continue to press the button and just wait and wait and wait and retry, retry until they like are the first one in. This would be an issue. It's really that you want to ship off of proof and an action you want to take. And like Solana in the program wants to reconcile and perform sort of like concurrency. And it's about sort of like making sure that even though the route might have already changed, I can very efficiently on chain use the proof I got from the client to like see that it's still correct. Is that right? I'm getting a thumbs up from John. Um, kind of. I, I think when you're thinking about this, I think from an application perspective, which I think is correct, which is that you could actually just spam transactions against a Merkle tree, like block after block. And so, and if you're the first transaction touching the tree in the block, your transaction will succeed and you can move on. Yep. Is that what you're asking about? Yeah. And that's basically unusable. Like it's bad for the network, bad for users. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And in particular with NFTs, as I'm sure Nyan can tell you, like there's a, just a lot of NFT transactions. And so when we imagine compressed NFTs interacting with the rest of the network, we want it to be as seamless as possible, or at least um, as a part of a framework. Yep. And and so the idea is that with what we had to solve for was just making updates, multiple updates to a Merkle tree in a single block. Yep. And that's basically and like the way this. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, go for it. it. It that's this this sort of like now that the root has changed, taking the old proof on an old root and as efficiently as possible showing that it's still valid. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, the the flow the flow of having to recalculate that proof, no not knowing that there was a simultaneous update somewhere else on the chain or from somewhere else in a different block just was untenable like that UX just sounded awful. Yes. So this allows even stale data that comes out of an RPC to be stale up to a point and gives a lot more flexibility for clients and RPCs to, to, to serve data that would, especially for NFTs that are owned by a single person that they can make adjustments to their own stuff without having to worry about like all the other things that are happening. Very cool. Yeah. From a technical perspective, What's the way that we got around the serial issue was by caching 
Um, it turns out that by caching the last 64, 256, or however many updates that have been that have happened to the tree, we're actually able to update outdated proofs. So, like John said, if an RPC is serving you stale data, um, we're actually able to. So long as like that stale data is only 64 updates old, we're actually able to fast forward um, that proof from the indexer to make it valid for the current state of the tree. And so that's really the innovation is that now, you know, if 64 actions are submitted to a block, they can all be processed um, and committed into that block because the proofs can all be fast forwarded um, one after another. And so... That's the difference between a normal Merkle tree and what we've called concurrent Merkle trees. And like that's the magic basically behind account compression. And my understanding, I'm, I'm a visual person, I was looking at your paper, is it's about finding out where like the paths through the tree intersect. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so the the basic algorithm here is that if you have a proof, um, a Merkle tree proof is a little bit hard to describe in words. Yeah. But right. the way to think, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to describe in words. But when you think about a Merkle tree, you think about the paths, you think about a path from a leaf all the way up to the root, uh, all the way up to the, the root. The proof is all of the sibling nodes um, along that path. So if you think yes. about two nodes being next to each other, the leaf is your Metaplex um, bubblegum NFT, and the sibling node is the first node in the proof. And as you go up the tree, all of the sibling nodes um, consist of the proofs. And so when you think about fast-forwarding updates using the cache, really what we're trying to do is there's a very basic proof that basically allows us to say there's only one update. If we have stale data, there's only one update per, there's only one node in the proof that we have to update per item in the cache. And so we do a very simple intersection of, <laughs> I say simple, but the bitmap is a little bit annoying to look at and it's difficult to describe. No, no, I, yeah. It's, but, go ahead. Yeah, basically, it's it's actually really quick to be able to calculate the intersection between um, an outdated proof and the node that we need to basically perform surgery on in that proof against an item in the cache. Is this the um, and we do that over and over again? Is this the binary representation of the leaf? So if you have like n leaves, um, the nth leaf, if you write it in binary, um, expresses the like its trajectory, and then you find out where they first collide. Is that I remember you saying that in your paper. Yep. It's a really nice trick. I like. I, I know you like present it without proof. You just say, "Oh, it's this," and then you kind of squint at it. And you're like, "Yeah, that is right." Uh, it's very elegant. It's it's really <laughs> it's fun. Um, that's really interesting. So when yeah. you say one one node, you really mean like it, like the only thing that's needed is when they collide because post collision, it's all um, it's not a collision again. So it's just like where they first collide when you follow the tree to the root. Yep. Um... Yeah, that that's correct. I'd think about that. Got it. Um, but yes. Cool. Um, so yeah, you do that over and over again, and you basically produce these. Uh, you basically allowing you get you get this sick result, which is that you know if you have a gigantic buffer of like a thousand twenty four items for your cache, you can actually basically get really old data or run a really slow indexer even written in like TypeScript that's like super far behind the network. And that indexer that's super slow can be run on anyone's computer and you can still index all of the updates to your tree, which contain updates to your NFT. Wow. So that's, that's one of the nice things about like the buffer size is that it does give like really like slower indexers a chance to keep up with what's happening. Got it. So everything we just talked about with the Merkle tree is a part of this account compression tech from, I know that obviously very porous boundaries between orgs, but roughly speaking, Solana um, Labs, Solana Foundation. Is it fair to say then that Bubblegum, coming back to the very top of the call, I think, Jan, you said this, 
all the other possible use cases. Well, okay, that's for NFTs. I mean, there's uh, many very interesting things we can do for NFTs, but even just like beyond NFTs, generic account compression. Um, can we think of Bubblegum as the like NFT consumer of that account compression? Is that like the right abstraction boundary where now anyone else can write their own program to um, consume this account compression Merkle tree tech? Getting thumbs up. <laughs> that is a yes. Yes. Cool. Very cool. I'm like, it's exciting to see that like that interface is already created um, and we're like barely hitting production in the first place. Does anyone have any interesting comments on that? Just a bit um, of trivia and maybe uh, Noah can speak on this more, but back in the glass chewing days of uh, bubble gum and gummy roll, there was another program called Candyland, which was a mishmash of all of this tech in random locations. And it was actually quite a bit of work to separate them into, uh, you know, clearly defined Solana owned pieces and then Metaplex owned pieces. Yeah, that's that's where the name like Gummy Roll came from was because it made a lot of sense to have Gummy Roll, which supported bubble gum. Um, and then when we had to break out, when we actually had to like be professional, I guess, about how these repos were separated, um, that's when Gummy Roll got renamed to account compression. Nice. Um, but yeah, one of the, one of the cool, uh, little factoids as well is that, um, basically this allows as like a tech perspective, as a tech layer, what account compression allows you to do is move your data from Solana accounts into the Solana transaction ledger. Yes. And that's really what you need the indexers for is you need the indexers to be able to identify the exact locations uh, where your data was updated and serve you a proof that they're giving you correct data. And so I think that's the cool part because um, this allows you to basically index your own programs. Like Neon said, this takes off a huge load from the RPCs Like, because now they don't have to support get program accounts. You're basically implementing it yourself by writing an indexer. And additionally, the indexer allows you to basically, uh, you can basically confirm that your indexer is up to date with the chain using Merkle tree proofs. So that's, I, I think that's something I'm, that's like a sick part of this, but it's, uh, it's a lot of glass chewing to get um, an indexer as performant as the Metaplex read API. Austin and Jan and team have done an amazing job with that. Amazing. Um, now that we've mentioned it a few times, uh, I really do want to see if we can get Noah Prince here since um, we have a relatively simple use of compressed NFTs. Like it's, it's relatively straightforward. I'm hearing very interesting things from Noah when he and I, meaning Noah Prince from Helium, um, when he and I DM. And let me just send a quick note to the team to see if uh, maybe we can get him in here. Um, and then uh, I don't know if there's any other, anything else you all want to talk about on, I mean, obviously interfaces are really interesting to me because they kind of like define the responsibilities, et cetera. And so that was a big piece for me was understanding the relationship between these various pieces of tech. Any other comments on um, the tech itself before we segue? So um, Austin Federa has basically noted that this, is allowing you to have like a strongly objective approach to indexing your programs um, because the Merkle trees, not only are they proving information about your accounts, but they're also allowing you to prove um, that certain actions were taken. And so it's possible that this becomes a more generic primitive for allowing you to reason about programs um, in exchange for serial execution. And I think from like a broader perspective, this is basically just trying to say that this allows you to have uh, great, like allows you to reason more clearly about your programs. But um, yeah, that's pretty much it from my end. Any other thoughts? I did want to talk about like how this is going to affect developers and rollout and stuff like that. I don't know if that's what you're going to segue into. 
Um, that's a great one. Uh, I'm actually like dying to ask a little bit about the cost breakdown. Maybe that we would talk briefly about that. Cause I think the sort of like what you can do today, I think would be a great discussion. Just want to ask briefly conceptually. So you all have a table in your documentation um, that talks about the cost when you create a tree of a certain number of leaves, like certain size. And I'm seeing 10,000, 100,000, 1 million, 100 million and a billion. And the total cost, like, you know, we're looking at as little as a, a few sol for 10,000 um, and like 500 sol for a billion. So the scale's extremely nonlinear. That's like incredibly exciting. That's the power here. Um, but you have this interesting breakdown of like tree rent versus tree transaction cost. And I'd love to hear a little more about like where this cost comes from and who, who bears it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so when you're configuring your tree, what, what we're doing here is we're allocating the, the space for the, those roots, those Merkle roots, and a buffer of, the, of those roots. So you basically say, like, how big is this tree going to be and how much, con like, not really concurrency, but kind of concurrency that you want. And that allocation is a typical account allocation against the concurrent Merkle tree program, the account compression program. Uh, that gets pre-allocated ahead of time before you do any minting or anything like that. What's nice about this mechanism is that because we're storing so little information on chain, the actual cost of operating a tree like this is entirely dominated by transaction cost. So when we think about a billion NFTs, it's actually the like the amount of transactions that are needed to fill the tree ultimately dominates the cost uh, uh, calculations there. That being said, like it is a lot of transactions and, uh, you know, like, uh, again, like Noah, Noah Prince would have uh, a better uh, take on this because they're going to be sending a, a boatload of uh, uh, something like hundreds of thousands of transactions to do this. But uh, one of the things that we've also thought about is like, can you batch mint? Can you mint a bunch of stuff all at once? So uh, to answer your question about who bears the cost, the creator is going to bear the cost of the storage. Uh, which is going to be something on the order of like five to 20 soul for a tree. Um, and then the, the minter is the one that's sending the transaction, uh, which they would be sending anyway to mint this NFT. Um, so that the transaction start cost is, is sort of amortized across all of the minters. Uh, although in the case of an airdrop, then that, then that cost goes back to the, the creator. Yeah. So, and actually that last point or, or the whole point, which is the actual rent on chain is extremely small. Um, and the vast majority of this in tra transactions, the rough point here, just coming back to a billion, we said there's around 500 sol total cost for like a, 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 a tree of a billion, um, let's say NFTs in this case. Seven sol, I'm just looking at your table, seven sol is the actual rent um, and 500 is like the rough um, transaction costs. And that's really just to get to a full mint, right? So if like a business wants to yeah. mint an airdrop, like you said, um, so it's still basically like highly distributable in a world where a product or, um, or users want to perform the minting action themselves, then we distribute just as before amongst a very large group. Um, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so we're exploring ways to reduce that transaction cost. Um, using different strategies, but yeah, it is, it is a very clear area of optimization. Yeah. And I think this is like well into the world of subsidizable, which is like kind of how, like, you know, to your point at the beginning, John, of like businesses can give users a full web three experience with true ownership of like true on chain assets um, at a scale where, where they can, where they can bear the costs. And that's, that to me is the threshold here. That's what's so exciting. Um, I feel like, a lot of crypto research on compression is really about getting to where a like blockchain is usable. Um, and what's so exciting about this is where it's like um, sub subsidizable at scale. Uh, <laughs> I know I'm repeating myself at this point, but that to me is huge unlock for mainstream adoption. Incredibly excited about it. Um, I, I actually, um, that was my only question on, on the cost uh, uh, breakdown. That's very interesting. Uh, John, you brought up an, another great topic that I wanted to cover. Um, hand it off to you. Tell us a little bit about uh, developer experience, rollout, et cetera, like anything that's on your mind on that, on that front. Yeah, as we've talked about a couple of times here, the RPC is doing a lot of the heavy lifting because they're the ones 
watching the ledger, getting all this information, storing it in a database, serving it through the API that ultimately the the client is end, is ending up using. So that's the first step in this in this whole journey. Metaplex has a as a reference implementation, working with all the RPC providers to provide uh, similar implementations to support compressed NFTs. That's the first step. The second step is for clients like Dialect and Helium, places where they have control over the wallet experience, to be able to make use of the information that's coming through the, those RPCs. Um, in cases where you don't need to transfer or you don't need to trade uh, those NFTs. Um, for now, uh, and they can stay within that wallet ecosystem. Then it's it's a great it's a great bet to to get started now. Uh, otherwise, uh, you know you do need wallet support, right? So there's an open PR and backpack that I've uh, woefully neglected, but um, you know backpack will have uh, support for compressed NFTs and other ones like Phantom. As soon as we can get RPC providers to support this, it should be sort of dead simple for them to be able to integrate. So once wallets can display these and, and they're assets that look and feel just like the regular NFTs that they already love, then it'll be a lot more tangible. The last step there is around smart contracts, uh, providing the capability to uh, operate on these NFTs in the same ways that you might expect, like trading, transferring, uh, you know, renting, like all the other things, uh, because you do need to reason about them a little bit more differently. But uh, yeah, those are the three, roughly the three or four steps that I think are needed to get this out to as many people as possible. My takeaway on what you just described is, um, and, and from our conversations internally at Dialect together with like Metaplex, Solana, et cetera, it, and also with the RPC providers is the um, everything, like these major programs, the way you interact with compressed NFTs to mint them, et cetera, is live and deployed um, on mainnet. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, you can you can mint all of this stuff today uh, and, and use reference uh, implementations. The the examples for smart contracts are a little bit rarer, um, and that's what we're going to be trying to get some more example code for folks uh, to implement against. But again, we're we're going through this in series, yep. working with different different um, teams. Uh, unfortunately, I do have to get going uh, to another call, yep. but it's been wonderful chatting with you. Fantastic. All. Thank you, John. Thank you for joining. Um, <laughs> I'm going to dump these questions on the rest of you. Just a couple more. Um, it's same as me, uh, Chris. So thanks for hosting and thanks, everyone. Um, hopefully people find amazing use cases for this new tech. Excellent. Um, fantastic. Thank you for joining, Jan. Uh, last couple of questions, Jordan and Noah, do you have a few minutes? Otherwise, we'll wrap up here. Yeah, I can hang on. And I have a question for Noah, too. Great. Uh, my understanding is, although the programs are live on-chain right now, the last little step toward at least performing mints, um, and like John said, sort of it, like being able to enjoy the, this content in your wallet, et cetera, is um, the RPC providers uh, implementing these uh, indexing solutions, like the read. APIs is that correct? And my understanding is that's where we are right now. We're working. We're we're working closely with some of our PC providers as they get that tech into production. Sorry, I'm confused as to what the question is there. That right now, if you really wanted to, there's still a little more work to be done. If you like wanted as a developer to build this into your product, and the work is for the RPC providers to fully bring on. Um, the last piece of this, which is the database oh, monitor yes. and, and provide through read APIs. Yeah, I think, okay, so 100% that's true. I think it's probably fair to say that most people will feel comfortable using the Metaplex read API, um, like through like their official URL, which like, I, I think that's probably enough of a trust model. Obviously that's not true for everyone, but if, like that's where I would go, and the Metaplex read API, it's really stable. Austin and team have done a great job with that. The one gotcha that we I feel like we didn't mention um, adequately enough was that there is an additional parameter to using these trees, which is called the canopy, and the canopy basically says that you know if you want to cache even more data than the buffers, like if you want to cache the top. 10 levels of the tree, top 14 levels of the tree, you can increase your account space of the tree and we will automatically cache the top 10 levels of the tree for you. What that means is that now your proof sizes can be smaller 
and that allows for more programs to compose with your compressed NFTs. So just wanted to throw that out there um, for developers that feel like the proof sizes are getting in the way of composition. That's great. Um, Jordan, you said you had a question for Noah. Oh yeah, I had asked this in Slack before, um, but I was essentially wondering about like what trust assumptions light clients might have if you rely on like RPCs and indexers to serve like proof data and sort of like data from the ledger uh, that's not in accounts. Are clients, like what, what do clients have to do to not trust the data coming from an RPC? Um, I think this is a, it's difficult to answer that question um, because I think there's like two or three questions in there. Right. Like, I think there, it's like one is like, what's the trust model for wallets? Like, you know, when should they trust the Metaplex read API versus run the Metaplex code themselves on their own RPC? I would suggest that they always run like their own RPCs and indexers because that's going to give them the most flexibility. Um, but this, there's like a deeper question in there, which is like, you know, how do... How like how do we get people to adopt like the art like indexing into RPCs at scale? And that question I think is probably a little bit more important um, because this is on the trust model for compressed NFTs is really simple. If the RPC or indexer serves you a lie about which NFTs you own, that proof will be invalid and your transaction will fail. So really, I think the question is like, how do we adopt truthful indexers at scale into RPCs? And how do we make it easier for RPCs to pick up even more of these extensions um, as time goes on, as new programs continue to develop on top of compression? Um, and I think that at labs, we can probably do a better job of redesigning a new RPC standard which is probably not the, what, which is probably a very big project. But in the interim, I know that Helios and Ironforge and possibly others are um, getting some pipelines in place to support compression for arbitrary programs. Um, so setting up RPC indexing for arbitrary compressed programs. I hope that answers your question. I feel like I tried shifting yeah. focus. No, no, I think that's okay. Thank you. That's everything I've got. Jordan or Noah, is there anything we didn't cover that you want to share with the audience? Uh, more program examples are coming soon. Um, we have a we have this really sick project that someone from Solana Developer Relations is leading. I don't want to reveal it yet. It's super cool. It's going to make developing on top of compression super easy and natural. Um, it's coming soon. Things are in the works. They're just getting started. But there's a lot of exciting stuff. We'll continue to post updates. And using this will get easier and easier over time. So in the meantime, just feel free to harass me or others on Twitter or Discord. Um, if you have questions. Is Twitter uh, the best way to reach? I mean, given that you're, you're signed in here on Twitter, maybe that's the best way to have a call to action for the audience um, to reach out to you. Yep, I think that's the best. Great. And wrapping up with the TLDR here, like we dove into some um, like of the nuts and bolts in the tech. I heard this a few times. I want to reemphasize it. Noah, please correct me if I'm wrong especially with this last point you made, generally, like this tech is getting rolled out. There's going to be broad adoption across major wallets and other um, projects like exchanges, et cetera. The developer experience really should end up being comparable in that I import some tools that I, if I'm a developer building some site that wants to consume NFTs, I can really have eventually, like as far as the code I write, the same interface with compressed and uncompressed. Uh, roughly speaking, that I like get to engage and use this code without a lot of conceptual overhead. Like you're trying to basically make these NFTs like any other. Is that like a good TLDR? In the long run, 100%.
in the short term, it's still going to be a lot of glass chewing. For sure. Solana is just difficult to build on. And I think that's how we create great interfaces is just like chew the glass, find out what works and what doesn't as opposed to over-engineer up front. So that's very like Solana spirit that I love of like, we're all kind of like deep in it. So um, this was fantastic. Really, Jordan and Noah, thank you for coming. Obviously our guests who had to leave a few minutes ago as well. Um, given that we're a little over time here, we're going to um, skip any audience questions I'm sure if anybody in the audience has any questions, um, they can certainly forward them to us at Dialect. Maybe just message at our account in some tweets um, or DM us. Noah, I hope I'm not signing up for too much here, but uh, if you want to, like folks, if you want to reach out to Noah, um, he's made himself available. Uh, but this was fantastic. Really, really enjoyed it. We are incredibly excited about this new piece of tech and especially for early developers, like the way this comes online is we all kind of get our heads around what is this thing? How does it work? And then what does it do actually for our products and our end developers? And like, while that interface isn't purely abstracted, I think for me personally, at least is really helpful to understand a little bit more about what's going on under the hood. So thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Noah. Um, really appreciate you coming and telling us a little bit about compressed NFTs. And to the audience. Thank you. Everybody, yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you for hosting. All right. Have a good Tuesday, everybody.